Today, I'm very excited to welcome Virginia Wilcock into the co-op studios and on Another Bottle Down. Uh, I tried to give voice to winemakers from all around the world and, and focus on cool things that are going on in the Austin wine community. So, Virginia, thank you so much for, for being here. This is a great a great opportunity, a great honor to have you in the studio. That's awesome. I'm glad to be in Austin. Yeah. So, you are uh, a winemaker. You're a chief winemaker of Vas Felix, right? And and you um, and and so you oversee all of the winemaking production at this winery, Vas Felix. Can you tell us? Just give us a brief uh, introduction to what Vas Felix does and and where it is in Australia. That's actually a really long question. Yeah, no, I know. We've got well, we've got about an hour. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Uh, yeah, look, it's uh, it's. Probably the most beautiful um, and certainly the oldest uh, winery estate in the Margaret River region. Right. Now, Margaret River region is a really young wine region in a, I guess, Australian and a global sense. Um, I think next year we turn fifty. Um, so the the vines at Vas Felix were planted in nineteen sixty seven. Wow. Yeah, and 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 how does that compare to? So this is Margaret River. So you have Vas Felix, the icon, the first winery in Margaret River. How does that compare to uh, the other winemaking regions? I mean, you you have a bit of a longer history of winemaking in uh, places like the Barossa and and Eastern Australia, right? Yeah, certainly. Well, I think you know between Tasmania and New South Wales and Barossa Valley, they're you know around two hundred years old. Right. Um, so certainly a much longer history in those places, um, and certainly north of Perth. I mean, Perth is the closest city to the Margaret River region. Right. So it's about three hundred kilometres north of the Margaret River region, um, but there is a wine region that was based around the um, Perth area um, a, a couple of hundred years ago as well. Yeah. So, so what's the history of of that area? I mean, was it was it discovered? I, I, as I understand it, the name Vas Felix is is linked to a little bit of the discovery of that region, right? Yeah, it's it is a really interesting history because it was actually an American guy, um, Harold Olmo, who was at University well, UC Davis. Uh, he was a viticulturalist, and he came to Western Australia and looked at the southwest of Western Australia and suggested that the southwest of Western Australia was a brilliant place in the country to be growing grapes. Now, right. not specifically wine grapes, but growing grapes, and that was in 1955. And then in 1965, uh, John Gladstone, who was at the University of Western Australia read this report and he was uh, doing a lot of agricultural studies and then he looked more closely at the the Cape of the Margaret River region and did some sort of correlating data on climate and all that kind of stuff and decided... Fancy science stuff. Fancy science stuff, yeah, (laughs) and decided that uh, Margaret River was actually a region most similar to Bordeaux. Wow. And and that might be... A, a something that folks out listening out there might might have a hard time wrapping your head around because I think folks associate Australia as a whole with Shiraz and not necessarily the Bordeaux varieties, right? Absolutely. And, and, it's one of the most important messages while I'm in the market <laughs> is to actually distinguish Margaret River from what people assume is an Australian wine standard. There's no such thing as right. an Australian wine style. Right, right. And, um, okay, so you have these scientists that, that discovered, uh, hey, this could be a really similar place to Bordeaux. Uh, and then in those early days, did they start, you know, did they, they, they think, okay, let's plant the Bordeaux varieties first off, right? Yeah, it was interesting because in those days, uh, there was only a certain number of vine cuttings available. Because in Western Australia, um, we have very strict quarantine laws. We don't want any diseases coming from other places. So there was only a set number of vines that were grown in that sort of Perth area. Um, And it consisted of, obviously, Cabernet. Um, Malbec was another um, variety that was planted. There was also Shiraz and Riesling. Um, Since, I I guess, in the last 49 years, we don't grow Riesling anymore because it's not suited. Um, And certainly Chardonnay has become very famous in the Margaret River region. And our focus is, as we've been learning and developing, we've really changed the way um, the varieties are growing. Cabernet and Malbec is in great domination in our region as a beautiful blend. And Chardonnay is very, very 
famous also. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, I can't. I'm very excited to talk about the the various wines that that you make at Vas Felix, but we'll hold off on that. I, I want to kind of complete this um, this history of of the Margaret River and and how it was different from uh, Barossa and South Australia in general. So, because at the time Riesling was doing really well in the Clare Valley, Eden Valley, and that that area as well, right? And and so they thought, okay, let's try Riesling, and it didn't work. Yeah, well, it's interesting because most of the cuttings that came in to Western Australia didn't come from South Australia or the eastern coast of Australia. Uh-huh. They actually came from ships that went from Europe around South Africa and then arrived on the West Coast. So our clonal history is very different from the rest of Australia. Oh, interesting. Um, it's really, it's quite unique and, and it's incredibly special, uh, the clonal history that we have. Um, and those cuttings came went from Perth and then came down south. So uh, it's you know it's a beautiful development, right. and and it's been a growing growing history. Obviously, as a region similar to Bordeaux, we also planted a lot of Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc as right. a you know the Bordeaux white varieties, and they are still prominent in the region today. Also, right. What what is it about the the climate of Margaret River that that makes it so we think that similar to Bordeaux, but you also have more of a of an, a, a maritime uh, and and an, and a ocean influence. I mean being right on the western coast and also south, you, you, you get a, a few different influences from the sea, right? Oh, it's the most important thing. Yeah. I mean, if you look at a map of the world, and I really strongly recommend everybody do it, <laughs> when you actually look at the southwest cape of Western Australia, uh, there's a tiny, tiny little bump that sticks out, and it's the Mar- that's the Margaret River wine growing region. It's sticking out in the middle of a massive cold ocean. It's the most beautiful. Like if you, um, I guess, to the west of us, you've got to go a hell of a long way to get to South Africa. Right. And if you travel directly south, you've got to go a long way and you hit the Antarctica. Right. That's it. It is very, very isolated. In fact, I think it's the most isolated wine region in the world, given that Perth's the most isolated capital city in the world. <laughs> We're 300 kilometres south of that. Wow. Um, but the sea breeze, the ocean, is the main factor. Mm. Um, you've got all of our um, weather fronts come from the southwest and they blow across the Cape. So it's fresh, cool breeze that blows across this beautiful little piece of land. Yeah. Um, and, it's a, and I guess that the significant difference with Bordeaux is that Bordeaux is maritime climate. Right. Margaret River is definitely maritime climate because you, that sea breeze is the most prominent influence. But we have more of a Mediterranean um, climate also. So we have a warm, dry summer. Right. Our, our summer's drier than what you'll find in Bordeaux. Right. And our winter's wetter. So all of our rain happens in the winter months. So it's a beautiful, healthy, vibrant rainfall, lots of vegetation growing in winter, and then it dries out over the summer months while the grapes are ripening. Right. And, and so um, in a lot of climates such as that, where all of the rainfall is, is allocated to the winter, uh, it's perfect for vines because you want during the summer months, you don't want this wet uh, condition that can, that can give mold. I, th- I think listeners out there, um, you know, uh, the, the listenership here is, is some people love wine, um, but also there's people who are just interested in, in stories and, and what, what is unique about grape uh, viticulture and and how is it different from other uh, uh, industries so it's really perfect for vines because you get that dry summer right yeah and I think it's also that that winter rain beautiful fully saturated soils while the vines are dormant and then as they start sprouting through spring they've got this beautiful healthy moist soil and the soil starts to slowly um, deplete in in its moisture content over the spring months so the vines grow up and they grow to a beautiful moderate height rather than continuing to grow through the summer months and growing vegetation, they're actually focusing on ripening the fruit. Right, so they're, they're putting their energy into their reproduction, which which is the berries, right? That's right. Yeah. And it's and, and as you say, that disease resistance, cooling breezes off the ocean, right. there's, it's like we call it like a refrigeration effect. So those cool breezes that come across the ocean where you've got a beautiful, warm, sunny day, the vine's photosynthesizing, it's wow. happy, it's loving life, <laughs> cool breeze comes across, it's blowing over these little berries that just want to stay fresh and hold that vibrant fruit flavour over the very long, ripening period that it takes to you know ripen the fruit properly right so it's a that refrigeration cooling breeze freshest sea breeze with a warm sunny 
environment, you know, what could be better for a plant? You'd be right. a pretty happy plant. Yeah. I, I would be a happy person if I were there too. <laughs> <laughs> Although, you know, you're, is it is it hard making making wine in such an isolated area? I mean, it, it's it's in the context of all of Australia. I think I read it's only three percent, or, or or it's a very small percent of of the the production of Australian wine. Right? Mm. Is it is it um, is it kind of challenge? Does that have its own challenges being so isolated? Oh, look, I suppose it does a little bit, um, but it also, you know, by being isolated, it also has its merits, you know. You yeah. you have the ability to be free and unique. Yeah. And I think that's something that's a big bonus about being isolated and in, in, in a... Um, you know, so far away from these other wine regions, we don't we don't suffer from wanting to be like South Australians because we are so far away from there and we're so unique in our in our wine style. So you know, we might look more to um, you know styles of Italy and France and things like that as much as we would South Australia because it's just um, as easy to get them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a really tight uh, community of winemakers there? How many how many wine wineries are in the, the Margaret River? I think there's about just over 60 wineries, but there's about 130 brands, so individual wine labels. So right. obviously a lot of people make their small amounts of wine in, in other wineries. Um, but it is a really amazing wine community. Yeah. Um, as winemakers, we stick together a lot. Uh, we look at what's developing. I mean, we're competitive too because sure. obviously we all want to make the best wine. Right. Um, but we do love to learn and grow and develop because we're such a young region. We've got right. a lot of catching up to do. So the faster we go, the more we'll dominate. Right, and, and the more that you tell the story of Margaret River as a whole, um, you know, and, and get the, the public's perception out of, hey, Australia is only the Barossa, uh, I think that, that that is important to bring the entire community up. Oh, look, there's no, nothing worse than, you know, you want to be the best winery in the Margaret River region, but if the Margaret <laughs> River region's not very good, then it's like a cherry on top of a poop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so how, so th- wh- what's your history? How did you get involved in, in winemaking and how did you come on board with Vast Felix? And uh, have, have you been involved uh, from the very beginning? Uh, no, definitely not. Um, I'm not that old. Right, Come right, on. right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was referring to to the takeover. There was a, there was a um, a purchase of the winery. Um, I, I guess. Yeah, the, I mean, the nineteen the, that was 1987. I've only been at Vas Felix for uh, ten years. Okay. So, in fact, ten years next month, uh, which is brilliant because yeah. um, I feel like now I'm just starting to get to know the vineyards. You know, right, it takes right. a long time to grow and develop within a winery. Um, but I've been in the Margaret River region. I think I've done 26 vintages in the Mar- in the Margaret River region now. Wow, wow. So that's I've actually done more than half the vintages of the uh, of yeah. the total. That have been done in the region, as it stands today. See, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think you're that old. <laughs> uh, good one. Thank you very much. Um, but it, I mean, I think it's. Uh, you know, I've worked at a lot of other different wineries, but for me, it's very, very important that you understand the climate, the soils, the the nature of every vintage that occurs, so that you're able to deal with it and you can grow and develop with the wine region. Right. So for me, the intellectual property that you have within the understanding of a climatic environment within one small wine region is really, really valuable. You can't, you know, when I got out of university as a, you know, five years out of uni, I thought I knew everything. Um, And, you know, 30 years out of uni now, and I actually think I've got a lot to learn. Still a lot to learn. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's with anything that takes so much study and is so complex, right? The more that you learn, the more you feel you have a long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Can, can you just tell listeners out there, um, I think that that might be a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around. Why does it take so long to get to know a vineyard? Um, w- what is it? I mean, I think that you know, folks might have their own garden and, and um, you know, you trial and error, but, but you might you know, come to, you know, you figure it out for the most part. Um, why, why is it a vineyard so complex in that sense? Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, I sort of draw it down to only one vintage a year. You right. only get one go at it every year to yeah. see what that climate, um, what the conditions of that year, what that little patch of soil has delivered to you and then how you as a winemaker have allowed it to behave within the winery. Right. Um, and there are so many different permutations and combinations of what you can do within a winery. And I mean, you know, 
what not to do as well as what to do um, are, are equally as important. But understanding like one little patch of soil, you know, it takes about four to five years before you get your first crop. Right. And then uh, every year you only get one little crop a year yeah. that you've got to basically learn about what has happened in that particular year. Was it the season? Is it that little patch of soil that's causing it to behave that way? Right. Is it the clone that you've got in that soil? Um, just from a plant point of view, was it, was it the way you pruned it? Did you leaf pluck it? Did you manage the canopy properly? Right. Is it lacking nutrition? What the hell's going on? Right. So, And then you've got a whole year before you get another go at it. Right. So, it's you know, it is a very, very long time to build a real understanding of just one little section of fruit. Yeah. And then you might go, you know, after 10 years you might go, mm, that little plot actually doesn't work doesn't and we work need to pull it out and start again. My goodness. <laughs> that, that seems so masochistic to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a little sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, do you see um, the, the vines coming into uh, jumping in quality after like the 10 year mark or something like that some folks talk about the 10 20 year mark of vines to particularly the 20 year mark where they 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 start kind of settling into their own um and 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 it's a little bit easier to coax the quality out of them yeah, it's a really that's a really interesting question. There's a lot of controversy out there in the wine industry right, about yeah. that, um, and I think it's it depends on how you plant and how you nurture those vines from the very beginning. Uh. If you um, if you over fertilize a plant in order to get it to the wire quickly so that you get your first crop quickly, it's going to be a long slow road before those vines settle down. Okay. If you actually allow those vines to naturally find their way to the wire and they're a very slow growing, you'll find that your first your early crops are actually significantly better that's that's my own personal experience right right um, and I think there's a bit of a misnomer about the you know old vines versus young vines and stuff like that certainly if the right vine is in the right soil with the right clone and it's reaching 30 40 years and it's performed every year they're kind of like wise old men you know right, they're right. just they just every season they're not affected they just do what they do um, every year and they just seem to have a consistency of performance. Yeah. That's what an old vine will deliver. Um, but superb quality fruit can be got in the in the early days of a vine. Right. I mean, you look at um, somewhere like Bordeaux. I think the average age of vines is fifteen years. Yeah. A lot of people forget that that's actually producing some of the most expensive wines in the world today. Right, and they forget that despite the long legacy of Bordeaux, there's still replantings going on all the time. All the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's hard for for folks to uh, to grasp because it's it's not something that the winemaker says and and. Mm. And, and particularly, they want to keep this image of old vine and an old winemaking tradition alive. Yeah, yeah. And so you have to battle that as a, as a, as, a, as a relatively young winemaking region. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, certainly, you know, that with some of the oldest vines in the region that are you know nearly fifty years old, those old boys are some of my most treasured batches of wine in the winery right. because they are the most consistent, the most beautiful little batches of Cabernet and Malbec yeah. and they, you know, they end up in our icon wine. Right. And it's not a bigger wine, it's not a heavier wine, it's actually a more elegant, fine, you know, textured wine and that's what old vines can deliver yeah. if they're in the right place. Right place. If you're just joining us, I'm with uh, Virginia Wilcock, who is chief winemaker at Vass Felix. It's a real pleasure to have her in the studio and to be um, to be spreading the word of one of the the icon producers of the Margaret River. Um, so, how did you how did you uh, just meet up with Vass Felix? And and I mean, it was a, probably an amazing opportunity for you at the time. And um, was that story? Was it just uh, it it just all worked out, or was there a story behind there? Oh, there's a pretty good story okay. actually. It was like it was the um, the most. I was actually very happy in the job I was at. I was looking after three small boutique wineries, and I was really enjoying life. And then I got a phone call by someone who said, "I think you should submit your CV for this job that's come up." Okay. And I'm like, "Who? Who's it with?" They wouldn't tell me. So just oh, really? submit your CV for a job that I didn't know. And I was like, that seems a little bit crazy. And yeah. I went, but and they said, "But what have you got to lose?" And right. I went, "Well, absolutely nothing. So why not?" Right. So I threw my hat in the ring and um, I ended up having two phone interviews, still not knowing who this um, winery the was. Mystery, yeah. And then I had my first real interview in a little apartment 
with uh, not knowing who I was meeting. Wow. It was pretty amazing. And then I walked in the door and I saw Paul Holmes at court um, and his general manager at the time, Paul Byron, and I went, oh, my God, it's Vas Felix. I want this job now. <laughs> so immediately <laughs> I became nervous. I wasn't no- nervous walking there, but right. then when I got in the room, I was going, I want it. Yeah. Um, it is the most uh, iconic, I-, I guess because it's got a longer history. Right. Um, the opportunities are so great. I mean, I certainly don't believe that it, you know, the oldest – being the oldest and the first means anything unless right. you're the best. And right. for me, that was a serious goal for me. It was like we've got a long way to go to maintain that status of um, being the best and yeah. actually claiming the, you know, the higher ground. Um, and the, it's, been, it's been a long journey over the last 10 years improving that from a vine yeah. stock and um, winemaking perspective. G- give us a few, a few examples of, of what you kind of knew you had to do going in there and, and what were some of the results I mean that that's a that's a tough uh, tough question I know but yeah I mean I guess for me you know Vas Felix was always a very good wine producer uh, right. producing very um, very high quality wines but um, they for me they were lacking that little bit of something special right. um, and I think wines need to be particularly special to really make it in the world today yeah um, and I think that's that character and personality and how we actually could get that personality out of the vineyard and make it survive inside of the inside the wines where was their heart and soul how right. was i going to be able to show that um, and for me i think well the first port of call was chardonnay that was the the chardonnay was probably not performing as well okay um in fact i think the whole region wasn't performing that well um because we had these old school methods and making old-fashioned chardonnays were fat and rich and alcoholic and buttery and boring but um yeah tightening them up and giving them a natural soul so natural fermentation high solids, um, just putting dirty juice to barrel and letting the natural yeast from the environment do the work. Right, right. Ended up creating something that was totally unique um, and that was that worked really, really well. Yeah. Um, so the journey has been, I guess, more natural um, way of handling wines. Right. Allowing the vineyard to do more of the speaking. Um, yeah. More tiny little batch fermentations. Every little patch of vineyard being fermented separately. Yeah. And I think there's there is more personality and heart and soul in the wines than we've ever had before. Yeah, it's wonderful, uh, Virginia. We have to take a short break. Um, and uh, please stick with us. We're uh, this is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, and we're here speaking with Virginia Wilcock, who is chief winemaker at Vas Felix, uh, one of the iconic wineries, the first winery uh, from the Margaret River in Australia. So uh, stay tuned. Welcome back. This is Another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, Hornsby, Austin, uh, 91.7 and koop.org. Uh, we're talking here with Virginia Wilcock, who is chief winemaker at Vas Felix, um, which is located in the Margaret River in Western Australia. And I will I will post a, a map of Australia on the co-op blog, uh, along with a link to the Vas Felix website. So if you're following along at home, uh, it's Vas, V-A-S-S-E, Felix, F-E-L-I-X dot com dot A-U. Um, Virginia, thank you so much for being here in the studio. I know that you just got off of a plane last night, so you must be jet lagged. Uh, and, um, and, and so this, this is wonderful to have you. Um, I've, I've really loved the wines of Vas Felix in the, in the past. And, um, so we talked a little bit about Western Australia and the Margaret River. Um, but, but I think that we, we still have a, f- a bit further to go in painting the picture of what it's like to be there. I mean, we know it's isolated. We know we've got the little jutting out in between the two seas, but, but what else defines the region? Yeah, I suppose it's a, it's a very naturally underdeveloped um, region. There's a massive amount of um, beautiful national park or forest. Um, and, I mean, I guess from, a you know, down in the south part of the Cape, you've got all these beautiful limestone caves that are, you know, developed over millions of years. Yeah. It's a very, very ancient region. So it's not a mountainous region. We don't have volcanoes. We don't have earthquakes. It's just a very stable land yeah. that's uh, eroded and developed over millions of years. Um, and certainly, obviously, we're a tiny, tiny 
tiny uh, new beginning for the region in its development, but it's a very um, very sympathetic development, I yeah. think. Um, I think bef- before the wine region, there was also a lot of surfing going on in the area because there's incredible reef along the along the coastline, and these incredible swells. Yeah. So you've got this incredible, beautiful beaches white sands, crystal clear, fresh water um, where you've got people surfing the most incredible, beautiful surf, some of the most consistent surf in the world, Um, beautiful natural forest, caves to climb through um, and then little vineyards sort of dotted around the region um, on gorgeous sort of perfectly drained soils uh, that produce beautiful grapes. So um, there's a lot of beautiful wineries to visit. There's incredible uh, food produce of the region is stunning. Um, So it's just – it's an incredible region of – to live in, to visit. It's just – I guess it's the, you know, the little wine paradise that that I've learned to love. I mean, it it sounds to a certain extent like California as well as as far as this, what you're talking about. They get mostly the rainfall over the winter and then, you know, summers are are dry and sunny um, and and this whole food scene – uh, although, is, is the restaurant scene there somewhat new? Is, it, is that kind of up and coming along with the, along with the wine industry? Yeah, look, I mean, I think, I mean, Vas Felix has had a, a restaurant for, um, over, well, nearly 30 years now. Um, so it's not so new. Right. Uh, but certainly uh, the restaurant we have at the, the estate is actually considered one of the top 50 restaurants in Australia. Wow. So, and that's purely based around, well, obviously our great chef, Aaron, um, but stunning produce. And it's, yeah. he resources um, local produce, uh, which is just so beautiful. Right. What are what are some of the challenges of of um, making wine there? I mean, you, do you have the intense heat and drought that you think of as in, in or, or I know that folks out there think of Australia. Oh, and it's hit the the headlines: um, drought and and too hot of conditions. But again, Western Australia, you're 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 kind of isolated. You're 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 not part of that culture, right? Absolutely, yeah. nothing drives me more insane than global <laughs> news about vintages in Australia. Australia um, and Margaret River. I mean, effectively in the last 10 years, Margaret River is now considered to have the most consistent vintage conditions of any wine region anywhere in the world. Wow consistently over 10 vintages, the quality has been phenomenal. Um, And this is, you know, we have, I mean, you know, you compare with California, California does not have the rainfall um, and the water supply that Margaret River does. We have a much higher rainfall in the winter months. Um, We range from 900 to 1300 mil of rain a year, and it happens over the winter months. I mean, that's a lot of water falling out of the sky. That's a lot of water. Um, that's in for folks listening out there. I think that's maybe around um, thirty inches a year. I want to say uh, not ma- more than more that. than that. Mike, mm. we'll get we'll get we'll get an inches uh, we'll get an inches <laughs> conversion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't talk inches. I'm yeah. very sorry. Right, right, right. So um, that's interesting. Such stable conditions and and very little vintage variation. So so you 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 talk probably in the winery and with with your colleagues just about subtle variation, but it's just that right, very subtle. Very subtle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, certainly, um, you know, other regions, I mean, sort of globally, people have been talking about global warming, about warmer vintages, right. things getting hotter. Um, certainly, we're not experiencing that in Margaret River, um, the cool. most consistent, beautiful conditions over 10 years. Our temperature is actually, um, I guess, moderated significantly by, by the ocean temperature because that cold ocean out to the southwest, the breeze is blowing across there and it's keeping that temperature quite cool. Yeah. So uh, while we do have a dry, you know, warm, dry summer, all of our dams have been recharged during the winter months. The groundwater's been recharged over those winter months. We have just been in a beautiful position. Um, and, and is that more important for some grapes than it is for other grapes? Uh, I mean, do you see that... Um, you know that 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 particular grapes need need that a little bit more than others. That that can be a little bit more um, uh, unforgiving or, or forgiving uh, given those conditions. 
Yeah, look, I mean, I think, I mean, I think it's ideal for Cabernet Sauvignon in particular right. because Cabernet Sauvignon is a very vigorous vine. It'll right. just keep growing and growing. If you if it keeps getting moisture, it will grow like a Triffid. You know, <laughs> yeah. it just you've got to keep clipping it and trimming it all the time. Right. Um, but certainly in the Margaret River, as that spring rain you know, depletes, the groundwater starts to deplete, the vine only reaches a certain height. There's far less, um, you know, I guess mechanical and human input required to cabinet naturally reaches a beautiful size and shape and form. Um, And then it's got a long way to go to ripen. It's one of the latest ripening varieties on the planet. Um, So we basically have a beautiful warm summer, cooling breeze, keeps the grapes fresh, vibrant all the way through to the end of their season. Yeah. Uh, certainly you're sort of hitting the autumn months by the time Cabernet is ripe and the temperature's cooler. You've got to get those tannins ripe. So you've got to take it out a long way. Right. So while you've got a beautiful healthy plant at the beginning, it ends up being a beautiful moderate-sized plant at the end with just focus on fruit while maintaining freshness. It's kind of perfect. Yeah. And so there's almost a um, – I think folks talk about in the in the wine industry, they talk about, you know, this long ripening period. So you see that. And, and do you see a lot of uh, variation? Some producers are starting to harvest maybe two weeks after you or, or before you. Or, I mean, is there – because when you have – these ideal conditions where you can, you know, you can kind of pick when when to harvest within a two week window. It's not like um, in in other regions where it's like, oh, I need to pick. I have this twelve hour window. Right? Do you see that? And, and then that that causes a lot of variation. Yeah, there's a, there seems to be a lot of flexibility in the harvest time in right. in the Margaret River region. I mean, certainly um, we're starting to see some really fabulous development in the sort of biological, biodynamic sort of farming that yeah. we're starting to embark on, um, which is meaning that the grapes are actually physiologically ripe at a lower bome with um, beautiful ripe tannins. So there's there's a lot of sort of movement towards this sort of farming. And when you're in such a stunning environment like Margaret River, right. you've got low disease pressure, um, you've got beautiful soils getting recharged in the winter months. So it's the perfect environment to be working on those that biological farming principle. Right, right. Yeah, organics are, are very difficult when you have a, a big mould pressure or, you know, maybe some less than ideal conditions. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's start talking about the wines at Vast Felix. And if you're just joining us, I'm here with Virginia Wilcock, who is chief winemaker at Vast Felix and in the Margaret River. And and uh, in Western Australia. So what's your favourite wine that you make at Fast Felix? Oh, probably the most exciting <laughs> at the moment is, is the, the Cabernet Camp. camp. Um, okay. Basically, I've, I've been working on Chardonnay for years and trying to get that as natural and more, um, you know, um, expressive and unique, unique patches. So we've got three levels of Chardonnay. Okay. Um, we've got a, the Phileas Chardonnay. Um, the Vas Felix Chardonnay and then the Hatesbury Chardonnay, which is the the top level icon Chardonnay. Now, they're more like a sort of unique – they're almost like what you might say in your your Burgundy principle where you've got a, you know, village, Village, premier crew and a grand crew. Very similar sort of concept and it's only, you know, 1% of our Hatesbury is grand crew. Okay. You know, they're little plots of grapes that you just – they're just magical plots like that are rare. So they're 1% of our total production, which actually interestingly correlates to Burgundy. 1% of, you know, the Chardonnay in in the Burgundy region is Grand Cru. That's it. There's no more. So it works in the same sort of principle, um, the very rare side of things. And then the Vasfield Chardonnay is more like a... um, Premier crew, again, quite rare parcels of fruit. There's not a hell of a lot of them. So it's a unique and beautiful style. And then the uh, the Phileas is more a sort of regional expression, right. many different plots, many different clones. Um, yeah. But if you've got the right variety in the right place, right. of course it's going to be a good wine. Right. You know? what, what are the flavour? How would you – so let's stay on the Chardonnay. Um, so, yes, we've got this village. Premier Crew, Grand Crew, but flavor-wise, what do folks expect when, when, when they, you know, what is it in the glass? You know, how, how do those differences really um, manifest themselves? 
Yeah, the, probably the easiest way to describe it is, uh, is I guess at the you know the sort of filius level, it, it tends to be a little bit more expressive in the riper fruit notes, so a little bit more sort of peach, melon, um, but only very subtle. Right. We have very very uh, fine citrus lines in the Margaret River region, right. and I think as you start going up towards the Hatesbury, you tend to get a little bit more citrus, um, a little bit more sort of um, lime, lemon, grapefruit pith. But so many complexities right. when you start going higher. Uh, deeper fruit weight, uh, more texture, more flavour profile. Um, there's certainly uh, more wood that yeah. we start using, a little bit more oak. Right. Um, we only use French oak in uh-huh. all of our Chardonnays. 100% of our Chardonnays go to, go to oak. Right. Um, and it's just the percentage of new barrels that we send these parcels to. Right. That that change the heavier the parcel the more um rich and complex it is the more new barrels we handle because it can take it then that, they yeah. can still achieve balance with that right yeah yeah so there's a beautiful sort of gradient of um aromatic complexity when we have more of the citrus notes they live longer um they tend to be much deeper longer stretch beautiful complexity yeah. but for me at the Hatesbury level um and the premier level you've got it's not just the fruit quality from each section that yeah. contributes, it's the micro microflora, the microbiology, because right. the wild ferment contributes a, a huge amount to the to the character of a wine. Right. So these little plots, if they're in the right place for growing, not just beautiful tasting fruit with marvelous intensity, they've actually got beautiful microflora that contributes stunningly to the wine. Yeah, it's interesting to see where we are of. Um, you know where and where Australia and and a lot of the leading regions are at because I think that Australia almost led the way in terms of clean winemaking mm. and now and now um, and maybe that was something that you had studied you know at, at, at university of this you know because I think that some of the major winemaking universities did that and it's like all of that microflora is not and and those biological liveliness of the wine is maybe not good we need to keep everything clean and and no bacteria bacteria no no native yeast and now we're really we're 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 on the other end of that right where the where the we're we're in the anti-industrial era right. of yeah, winemaking, yeah, yeah, yeah. and this right. is you know it is unfortunate. I was of that era of yeah. you know that sort of study at university, polished wines. I was even flown to Europe to try and tidy up some of these you know right. Eastern European and um, you know grungy little Italian wineries and see yeah. if I could polish the wines up. And I've just finally I've actually brought back with me the grungy side of the right, winemaking yeah. and going. There's more personality in these wines. Yeah, we d- need more personality. So when you were a young winemaker, did you feel that? And going to Italy and 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 being hired for for a certain purpose, but then thinking, oh, you know, I really like this character of yeah. this kind of wild, you know, un untamed side of winemaking. Yeah, it's that it's a very fine line, though. You know, yes. you've got to be. It's a you know, there's a dirty side of winemaking where you get wine faults that are that are just well, they they're not good for you. Yes, um, and and they taste bloody awful. Yeah, um, but when uh, if you actually nurture the the right microflora elements and you have you know and it's, there's an art there's right. an art to not doing anything you right. know yeah. how do you not do anything <laughs> well give them a clean pathway uh, there are certain things you can do as a winemaker to right. look after it but this is the exciting part of winemaking where we're at right now particularly at Vas Felix yeah. Um, and even even going to the point where our Cabernet is now for the first time, and in fact I think at Vas Felix we have the largest uh, wild ferment program for Cabernet Sauvignon globally. Wow. Because Cabernet has always been considered this controlled, driven style of wine. You right. know, it's expensive and you need to push it into the right pathway to make it perform its right. best. Yeah. But we've found it um, – well, certainly Margaret River, the region, has allowed us. We've got elegant, fine Cabernet with a beautiful, powerful tannin structure, but it's right. just got this wonderful sensation that just – that you can allow it to have a natural fermentation and the wine's more relaxed, there's more soul to it. Everything just comes out better. Yeah, yeah. So we've been we've been involved now where well, there's a massive global project on, you know, microbiology in in fermentation, but in soils and vines and everything else going on. Right. And um, there's a massive research project at yeah. Vast Felix at the moment that's actually based in Copenhagen. Oh wow. 
I know. And <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, so they're they're leading the the research at Vast Felix, but or how does that no, work? No, sorry, there's a it's a micro wine project oh, okay. that's based in Copenhagen. So it's about fourteen PhD students, and they are working oh, and at Vast Felix. Oh. Um, so there's a number of Cabernet wineries throughout the world, so California, Bordeaux um, and Margaret River, where they're looking into the soil microbiology, what the ants are carrying around on the fruit, the leaves, right, and then right, what right. goes, what ferments through the wine. Right. I mean, microbiology is the is the, the reason we're all here and we're all surviving, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, those good bugs, right? The good yeah. bugs. <laughs> yeah, nurture those good bugs. I just love, I love what you said about, um, you know, in, in a way, it, it takes a lot of effort and knowledge to be hands off. I, I feel like one of my pet peeves in the winery, in the in the wine industry, is that um, oh, we're hands off and we just let the fruit express itself. Well, if you're super hands off, you know you're going to have vinegar probably. Correct. Um, and and so just that you know quality shouldn't be a result of just that. You have to work really hard. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Great. We talked about. Oh, I wanted to ask about the longevity. I mean, you know, you get a little bit more soul as you're talking about in these, you know, when the microbiology is, is, is interesting and, and, and adequate. Um, do you think that you get more of an interesting evolution to the wine and, and more, not necessarily long livedness, but, uh, but, um, you know, more interest and, and more change as it evolves? It's hard to say maybe too, too yeah, young. Yeah, look, it's, um, yeah, I guess our evolution in that sort of microbiology, I mean, God, the ancient wines of our world were all naturally fermented, right? right? right. So we're sort of, we're almost going back in time. But we don't know how good they were, you know? No. Yeah. Um, but what we do know is that, um, well, particularly Cabernet Sauvignon, the tannin structure of Cabernet Sauvignon and the beautiful acidity and balance that we have in the Margaret River region allows them to age brilliantly. Right. Now, the microbiology doesn't change that innate structure of the wine. Right. Um, so what we have found is that the wines are far more attractive and delectable as a younger wine, but they still have the the baseline for them to live for a very, very long time. Very so cool. we think our Cabernets are um, you know, beautiful to drink as a three-year-old, right. but they'll certainly be great as a 10, 15, 20-year-old wine. Wonderful. So let's. So we've got Chardonnay. You mentioned Semillon and Sauvignon Blanc. You, uh, Semillon is a very interesting white grape in Australia in the in the entire context. Maybe some people think more Hunter Valley or this and that. Uh, is is what are your opinions on Semillon? Do you kind of get that Bordeaux quality to it or? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think. Um, Semillon in Margaret River is nothing like Semillon from the Hunter okay, Valley. Right. Um, we have a lot more flavour. We've got a – yeah, there's a lot more <laughs> perfume, a lot more structure to them. Okay. Um, but certainly we've decided that the the blend of the Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon, the sum of the parts is better than the individuals. Right. Um, the structure of Sauvignon Blanc it expresses itself as the mother of Cabernet. It's yeah. actually quite a firmly structured, beautiful white grape right. um, that when you put them together um, – and certainly a bit of um, oak handling um, works beautifully. We've started doing some full skins ferments with Sauvignon Blanc. Again, a few more natural ferments when we oak wow. ferment it. Um, and what we're finding is that there is there's a, there's a lot more sort of fruit perfume than you may find in a in a Bordeaux white, but we still have those textural elements that you can find in the great um, you know Semillon Sauvignon Blanc wines. Right. Wonderful. And um, so certainly for, you know, folks exploring the whites of the Margaret River, you're not going to, it's it's not going to be that simple linear citrus, you know, Sauvignon Blanc that people th might think of from New Zealand or, you know, we've got, we've got more Cru Classe white Bordeaux. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yep. More of a serious wine. What do you pair? What, what, so, um, you know, just mentioning a little bit of pairings. I mean, when you have more character, more richness out of that uh, Semillon, Semillon Blanc blend, what what do you think to for food? Yeah, I kind of I think in more of the sort of uh, entree style. You know, asparagus dishes. Yeah. Um, you know, 
I guess it, I'm, I'm, I definitely think in the sort of seafood yeah. uh, end of the spectrum. When you've got, particularly when you've got quite oily fish yeah. um, and it's quite slippery, it's a beautiful, there's a beautiful sort of line that a Sauvignon Blanc Semillon cuts with a little bit of phenolics in there. Yeah. And it doesn't have the sort of rounder texture of a Chardonnay. Right. It's more of a driven line with a beautiful cleansing finish, yeah. which is beautiful with an oily fish. So, you know, smoked salmon, smoked trout, um, you know, a bit of asparagus, a bit of dill on the top, Excellent. that sort of thing. Yeah. Mm, getting hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, let, let's move on to the reds. We, we, we talked a little bit about Cabernet. What what other red varieties do you do? And I, I saw a little Petit Verdot maybe going into some of the blends. Um, yeah. Do you do the, the other parent of Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc? Well, this is a really interesting story, another diff- another part uh, – another, I guess, diversity from uh, Bordeaux, we've actually found over the years that things like Malbec and Petit Verdot seem to be better blenders for Cabernet Sauvignon um, right. at Vas Felix rather than Merlot and Cabernet, Cabernet Franc. Franc. Hmm. And I believe that this may very well be because Merlot and Cabernet Franc, I guess, were chosen in, in Bordeaux because they ripen earlier, they're quite disease-resistant, um, and they, you know, they've got that early ripening capacity, but we've actually got a little bit more sunlight, probably slightly higher temperature, even though we've got that beautiful cooling breeze. And I think Merlot and Cabernet Franc might ripen a little earlier. Whereas things like Malbec and Petit Verdot, which actually ripen later than Cabernet, can bring us beautiful structure and beautiful deep fruit. So, I mean, Malbec, you know, Malbec was pretty much pulled out of Bordeaux in the the early 50s. It's... it's, um, and not frost tolerant. Right. So in Margaret River, we're so close to the ocean, we don't get frost. Never frost is an issue. So, yeah. um, and disease, it's quite disease prone. So if you get moisture during summer, the the bunches tend to sort of um, get quite a lot of mold and disease on them. Again, not Margaret an issue River, for you. not a yeah. problem. Yeah. So basically, um, we are moving more towards the Malbec Petit Verdot blenders with our Cabernet Sauvignon. And it's just such a better wine. Cool. You know, it's yeah. uh, I guess Merlot's always been kind of tomato leafy and it contributes a bit of a tomato leaf sort of character to Cabernets. When you move away from that, you can bring in sort of a, um, I guess the Malbec is more of a sort of mulberry, almost a, you know, bloody sort of slightly meaty charcuterie type character. Yeah. Um, as when Petit Verdot is a, more of a violets, acid line. You, you know, get that intense colour too yeah. f- from Petit Verdot? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So you bring these into the beautifully, perfectly ripe Cabernet that we've got in Margaret River, you end up with little structure builders that just have beautiful elements in them. So, yeah. you know, this has been a beautiful, you know, it's taken us 50 years to work this out. Right. Tom Cullity, who planted the first Vas Felix vines with Cabernet and Malbec, the very first wine he made at Vas Felix was the 1972 Vas Felix Cabernet Malbec. Okay. And we then started thinking, oh, we're a bit like Bordeaux, keep putting Merlot and Cabernet Franc in the ground. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, my God, it's taken us, you know, 45 years to realise that Tom was actually onto a good thing. <laughs> and we actually need to start moving away from that Merlot and Cabernet Franc and return more towards the Malbec and start using a bit more Petit Verdot. Yeah. And so you have um, the the opportunity of tasting these in tank and whatnot, and so you can kind of get the 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 you know the components and the flavors of it and so is a big part of your job to say hey how much malbec how much petit verdot goes in the blend and and, and oh, that absolutely yeah. yeah yeah i mean we every little vineyard section's um fermented and matured completely separately right. so that we we have an understanding of a read back to those little sections of vineyard because the vineyard has to do the talking we've got to learn to understand them right. and then we blend at the end of the day so that is a very very important part of my job Finding that perfect balance right. and I guess learning that every time we add Merlot it's not as good as when we add Malbec so right, that's right, been right. a big part of the last 10 years of development at Vas Felix yeah. I mean to the point where the Hatesbury um, red that we make which has been a Cabernet Malbec Petit Verdot blend uh, right. for many years is getting closer and closer towards uh, Cabernet Malbec and it's getting closer and closer to the oldest vines. So it's now a single vineyard estate wine, um, right. and we're going to be calling it Tom Cullity from the th- 
2013 vintage onwards. So it's no longer going to be Hatesbury? Correct. Okay. Hatesbury Chardonnay will live forever. Okay. Hatesbury Chardonnay, very famous Chardonnay, right, right, going right. to live forever. But the uh, Hatesbury Red will become Tom Cullity. It will be a new wine because it, be it will be single vineyard and it'll be Cabernet Malbec. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, my name is Mark Grayshop. This is Another Bottle Down, where we talk about wine and the wine industry for an hour every week. And it's Co-op Radio, K-O-O-P, Hornsby, Austin, 91.7. Okay, we have just a few more moments. And uh, wrapping up here, uh, Virginia, uh, Virginia Wilcock, who is chief winemaker at Vast Felix. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful, uh, wonderful hour. And I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Um, I'd like to just wrap up and, and um, you know, we talked about some of the whites, Chardonnay, Semillon, Sauvignon Blanc, Cabernet, Malbec, Petit Verdot on the red side. Um, you know, to, to just sum up and, and, and talk about what uh, Margaret River and Vast Felix are doing stylistically and what folks expect from those, uh, the, the regions and, and Vast Felix being kind of, you know, one of the icons of Margaret River. Um, and and where Margaret River is going? I mean, th- th- do you feel like there is a unified style that that Margaret River can boast, or or um, is it different from Vast Felix? Or, you know, what is everybody rallying around? Yeah, it's a. I think uh, certainly I'll start with Chardonnay because I think yeah. that's a. You know, that's a, the most competitive uh, wine I think we have globally at the moment. I think you know in the UK market at the minute, um, particularly with the the Burgundy vintages that have just happened, they're quite small vintages. Yeah. They're getting crazy expensive. The next option for people now is becoming Margaret River. Yeah. This is where you get the most complex, beautiful Chardonnays that had, have a gorgeous acid line, um, beautiful, elegant fruit fruit notes, um, great complexity, great depth, but right. uh, but wonderful structure. So this is the go-to after Burgundy, right. and you don't pay as much. Right. And this is going to be this is a great opportunity for the Margaret River region at the moment to really claim a bit of that space because Burgundy just simply can't supply because they've had a couple of poor vintages right yeah. um so this is a this is a wonderful time for so, us so expect um, uh, certain characteristics from burgundy uh from margaret river i mean in that sense and and not an overblown malolactic not overblown buttery popcorn style i mean everybody's really rallying against that Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we moved down on from that in the 90s. Well, from the 90s, I think. Yeah. Um, but it's just, you know, it took us a long time to understand our vineyards, to learn that there are other ways of handling them and you can get – and the and the results turn out so much better right. yeah. when, you, uh, when you've got moderate alcohols and beautiful acid lines and yeah. wonderful complexities from a wild, more natural fermentation. Yeah, yeah. Um, certainly from a Cabernet perspective, it's a very interesting position that Margaret River has. It's a very unique proposition, I think, coming out of the Margaret River region. We have a unique clone of Cabernet Sauvignon that nobody really understands where it's from because really? it arrived in WA in the late 1800s and we're not sure if it came you know, from South Africa or from France. It's an elegant, fine clone. Um, it has perfectly ripe tannins, beautiful, fine, powdery, almost cuddly tannins. Um, <laughs> but it's a I think a lot of people forgot that Cabernet Sauvignon can be one of the most elegant, fine red wines. You and know? Not, all, not only about power. That's right. Yeah. And I think it was, uh, you know, I hate to say it, but the Parker era of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon scoring has driven Cabernets to be bigger and bigger wines. And we learnt in, again in the 90s in Margaret River that pushing Cabernet to a big place, it lost its shape, it lost its structure, it lost its finesse and beauty, right. that it makes it a much, much more beautiful wine with a meal. It's much more palatable. You know, right. it's not a big, heavy red wine. It's a fine red wine. So, Margaret River, all of the producers were all very much in the same position there right. where we're, we're showing this beautiful elegance and finesse but without losing the power of great Cabernet Sauvignon. Excellent. And I think that's uh, that's something that I think the world is going to turn to and go, oh, that's right, that's what Cabernet looks like. Yeah. That's what it should look like. Right. Um, and I've certainly heard that from a number of people out there in the marketplace while I've been showing the wines. They go, oh, my God, I remember the classic old Bordeaux. They used to be a bit like this. Right. 
Um, so for me, this is a this is a, again a great opportunity and a very fine, elegant wine that we should be embracing. Right. And do you feel the region as well as embracing those other Bordeaux varieties, the Malbec and the Petit Verdot, and 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 eschewing the the Merlot? Do you feel that yeah, it's a trend? It's yeah, it's starting to happen. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's certainly a bit of Merlot um, and a few new clones being discovered. Um, in the region, but um, certainly the focus with Cabernet Malbec has been very, very strong. Very positive. Well, thank you so much, uh, Virginia Wilcock, Chief Winemaker of Vast Felix in the Margaret River in Western Australia. Thank you so much for being here. Enjoy Austin. Good luck uh, spreading this this amazing message that, that Vast Felix has to tell. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll catch up with you maybe in another couple of years. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, my name is Mark Rayshout. This is another Bottle Down on Co-op Radio. I really hope you've enjoyed this interview. Um, and if you've missed any part of this or any other uh, interview, you can uh, access the archive on uh, koop.org slash radio. There will be a, uh, a link to the archive. So thank you so much. Enjoy tons of wonderful wine. Uh, enjoy it responsibly and love your loved ones and um and enjoy life till next week